Lena Aidshilfer, is that this campaign fails to show people what they can do to keep safe, such as using condoms or clean needles. If you want to inform people in a proper way, you also have to show them things who are not okay. You have to show the no-goes, but you have to explain it. So what do people on the street think of the campaign? I headed to a Berlin bar to find out. I guess the main question people are asking is how to connect a disease or someone that has that disease with, with someone like Hitler and actually where the relevance in that campaign was. Come on, in the 80s it was like people were judged because they are gay or drug addict and uh, 20 years after it should have been over and to compare diseases like HIV with a Hitler, Nazi, Deutschland, it's the worst thing you can do, I think, because you, you mess up all the developments we had in the last 20 years. I, I honestly think it's kind of criminal. Like, it's, it's absolutely obscene that something like this could be um, publicly aired and that people could be exposed to that kind of hate, because it is hate. The Central Council of Jews in Germany issued a statement calling the ad a defamation and mockery of Holocaust victims. They've joined AIDS activist organisations in Germany and the UK, calling for an immediate end to the campaign. Cinnamon Nippard, FSRN, Berlin. And that's all for today's program. You're listening to FSRN. Today's newscast was produced by Catherine Komp. Our headlines editor was Jess Burns. FSRN's intern is Shuhei Nakayama. And our technical production team at KPFA in Berkeley includes Rose Katapchi and Scott Fame. From Bogota, Colombia, I'm Manuel Rueda. From the campus of the University of Michigan, streaming live on the web at wcbn.org, you're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. The views and opinions expressed on WCBN Public Affairs Programming are solely those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily represent those of WCBN as a whole or the licensees of this station, the regents of the University of Michigan. The following is an encore presentation of Closets Are for Clothes. We had some friends over, and we were talking about our frustration with church, and we were sort of feeling like, you know, why are we part of this? Why are we giving money to this organization that has this, what we see as fundamentally unfair policies? And they said to us, it happens to be gay friends of ours, and they said to us, why don't you guys do something about it? And it it was very sort of like, what? us you know and then then you got you start to think well why not us you know why why should we or just if not be? us then who yeah Listening to Closets Are for Clothes. I'm David Christopher Meitzler. On this episode of Closets Are for Clothes, we're going to talk about whether there is a place for gays, lesbians, and transgendered people in the house of prayer and worship. We'll be talking with two people who say, yes, there is a place. Two people who refuse to let their friends be pushed away and excluded from sharing in faith. So the, uh, the question is, 
may gay, lesbian, and transgender people have a place to pray, worship, or share faith? And I'm going to first list some religions and their positions on inclusions for gays and lesbians, although, as you'll hear in the institutions, the way they describe what, they, uh, what their beliefs are, uh, the word homosexual is used, although it's not necessarily always technically accurate. Uh, homosexuality in Orthodox Judaism is literally forbidden by the Torah, with references in Leviticus describing intercourse between males as an abomination, but opinions in Reconstructional Judaism and Reformed Judaism might differ. Buddhism generally doesn't go into details about human sexual conduct, but there is a wide diversity of thought on the matter. Some Buddhist orders may specifically prohibit transgendered people or homosexually active people from ordination, but accept them as laypersons. Islamic views on homosexuality are influenced by the Quran, and verses in the Quran condemn sexual acts between members of the same sex. Homosexuality is a crime and forbidden in most Islamic countries. On the Christian part of the religion faith spectrum, Southern Baptists believe the Bible denounces homosexuality, and such people are making a choice, and they can change. The Church of England accepts that many members of the congregation may be homosexual, and they generally work to, against the fear and the discrimination of homosexual uh, people, but gays and lesbians are not permitted to be members of clergy, and same-sex unions are not permitted. Lutherans have adopted the belief that homosexuality is uh, contrary to Bible teaching and encourages its members to minister to gay and lesbian folk. So this somewhat incomplete review is to give you a sense of the diversity or lack of it with regard to religion and tolerance of gay, lesbian, and transgendered people as members of a shared faith. That being said, for this program, we are going to focus, at least initially, on the Methodist Church. The United Methodist Church currently supports the inclusion of homosexuals in the congregation, and they may take part in sacraments and programs. However, the, universe, uh, the United Methodist Church does officially state that, quote, the practice of homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching, end quote. Homosexual people may not become ordained ministers, and the Methodist Church will not conduct same-sex marriages. And that brings us to our studio. Now with my two guests, Linda and Ryan Haywood, two people who are not gay, they're not politicians, and they're not church officials, but they are two people who are members of a church here in Ann Arbor, and as we will hear, they became unhappy with how their fellow church members and friends were being regarded at a place where they were to share in a spiritual community. It's Ryan and Linda Haywood. Uh, they have combined four degrees from uh, University of Michigan. Ryan is a lawyer, and Linda is re a retired hospital nursing administrator, and they have two sons. Hello to you both. Hello, Ryan, and hello, Linda. Hello, hello David. I'm very glad you could come down here tonight, and we're going to talk about uh, the church, uh, and the church is one foundation, and our spiritual uh, ability our ability to be spiritual in an institution and to share that with other people and how perhaps there have been some, uh, well, there's, there are obstacles to that. And I guess I first would like to get a sense of what is your idea and concept of church? Why do you go to a church personally? What's your personal feeling on your place at church? Well, I, go think, ahead, I think for both of us, I'll let Linda speak for herself, but we're both, I think, somewhat... Uh, so much spiritual people. I think we both believe in something bigger than ourselves. We were both raised 
in the Methodist Church. We both attended Methodist churches since we were little, and uh, maybe partially because of inertia, partially because of the fellowship, partially because of faith, we've kept that up over the years. Linda? I love the community of a church, um, that, that people reach out to one another. I love that the Methodist Church does a lot of great mission work. Um, and I think that there are some just terrific um, life um, lessons um, in the Bible that serve anyone well. And having to do with love, I, I tend to focus on the positive here. And how That's, long have you been attending church? Uh, all my life. All your life? What about you, Ryan? Well, I can't remember that far back, but <laughs> at least since I can remember. So. Uh-huh. And have you been uh, members of Ann Arbor uh, churches yep. all, all this time? Uh, we've been a member of the First United Methodist Church of Ann Arbor since 1981. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Well, uh, as we we talked a little bit uh, before the show, um, there was a point at which you were in church and you were sharing fellowship with everybody, and you sensed that there was a beginning uh, the beginnings of exclusionary practices, I guess would be safe to say. And that seems to be around the time of about 2004. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and uh, at that time, if we step back and look a little bit to the context of 2004, there was a proposal on the ballot uh, in 2004, and it was, proposed, it was known as Proposition Number 2, and it was labeled as a defense of marriage amendment, and that would amend the, marriage, uh, the Michigan Constitution to make it unconstitutional for the state to recognize or perform same-sex marriages or civil unions, and the text of the amendment stated, to secure and preserve the benefits of marriage for our society and for future generations of children, the union of one man and one woman in marriage shall be the only agreement recognized as marriage or similar union for any purpose. So if you can think back to that time, there was a lot of marketing that was happening on television. There was a lot of advertising and slogans, or not so much slogans, but maybe fear being essentially instilled, perhaps some inaccurate information, and it was getting the public riled up because what it was doing is it was challenging marriage. It was suggested that gay people getting married, we have no place for that in, in this church. Can you give me a sense and think and reflect a little bit back on what was the uh, what was happening in your congregation at that time? I think there was a lot of um, oblivion to the to the whole issue, and I remember that I wrote to our pastor at the time and I said, "Are we going to take a stand as a church? Are we going to make a statement one way or the other?" Right, mm-hmm. and he said he wrote back and said, "No," and that was really distressing to me that we were just going to let all of this happen. Was this being talked about, like when you would go to uh, social uh, gatherings after a service? Would, uh, would pe- were people talking at all about you gays know, and lesbian people and what were they doing and who are they and why do they want to be in our church? And You know, every once happening? in a while you would run into someone and you would, you know, have a discussion and you would realize, well, this person feels the same way that I do. Um, but in general, it, it was just, um, you know, pushed in the background mm-hmm. and, and really very little discussion unless you disagree. No, I don't, I don't think there was a lot of discussion at the time. It was, uh, it was sort of a quiet, but for the advertising, as you say, and I think some of our GLBT community friends were talking about it more than anybody else, of course, um, and they had probably more direct interest in it. And that, at the same time, there, there was a, there were a bunch of things going on 
in the church and around the church that really bore on this. This is sort of really multifactorial for me. I think that was going on at about the same time. There was a minister in Oklahoma, a Methodist minister named Jimmy Creech, who was defrocked for having performed a same-sex union um, outside the church on his own time, uh, but was still defrocked. And that was several years before. Yeah. And at that time, I had written a, minute, a pretty long and blistering letter I can be a little hostile when I'm called upon to, <laughs> yeah. so that's part of my lawyering, uh, to, our, to our bishop. And I got back a very nice letter, which I'm sure I would have gotten the same thing if I'd have told him the parsonage was on fire. It was, you know, the bishop appreciates your comments. All points of view are appreciated. Don't write us. We'll write you. Thank you very much. And that kind of the brush off also made mm-hmm. me mad. And not too long after that, there was a, a, another Methodist minister in Germantown, Pennsylvania, named Beth Stroud, who was featured on a uh, uh, television program on on PBS, um, and who uh, came out as being lesbian in front of her congregation on a on an Easter morning to a standing ovation. By the way, um, very well liked, beloved by the church, by the kids, by the adults, by the old, by the young. Who was promptly defrocked by the church. Yeah, she, well, that just made me mad. Yes, yeah, she was. Uh, this I think was in 2005. She was convicted in a, there was a church trial. Oh yeah, right. absolutely. To challenge right. whether or not she was rightfully there, and she was convicted uh, of violating church law by engaging in a lesbian relationship. Right. So, um, and, I, and, I, and I know, you again, you're not necessarily church officials or church scholars, but can you talk to me a little bit about what was the church law at that time? Well, church law, I mean, canon law or church law is a, is a different set of topics from, from civil law or criminal law. In our particular church, the United Methodist Church is governed by a thing called the Book of Discipline. And I see you, and you're holding up a book there, and it is indeed a, a quite it's, a hefty it's, book. <laughs> it's some uh, 850 pages of detailed law, and it says a lot of different things. It talks about how ministers get selected, uh, who owns churches, mm-hmm. where the money goes, how it's used, etc. And it says some rather, to my mind, schizophrenic things about homosexuality. I'll, I'll give you two little Two little sentences from opposing pages here. Right, and this is from the 2004, the 2004 Book I'm, of Discipline. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a little changed today. but There I, is a 2008 Book of Discipline mm-hmm. now, but it says the same thing. Interesting. Uh, All right. So this says, uh, on human sexuality, we recognize, we the church, recognize that sexuality is God's good gift to all persons. We believe persons may be fully human only when that gift is acknowledged and affirmed by themselves, the church and society. Well, that's a really nice statement. On the opposing page, it says, as you read earlier, the United Methodist Church does not condone the practice of homosexuality and consider this practice incompatible with Christian teaching. Well, there's a certain schizophrenia there. Yeah, so the discrepancy isn't even hard to find. It's right on opposing pages. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, who, who writes that? Who writes those laws? How do they get approved? Can you? There, there, there are section after section in there about how this gets done, and it's done at a quadrennial conference where the church leaders gather. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a very complicated well, process. Yes, Linda. Uh, one thing I wanted to say um, in your introduction, you said that um, in the Methodist Church you can't be ordained as a minister if you're homosexual. That mm-hmm. that's actually not true. You can be ordained as a minister, but you can't live. You you can't be a as as they say in the book of discipline a practi- practicing homosexual. Okay. All right. So 
Beth Stroud was fine as long as she didn't live her life honestly. And as soon as she lived her life honestly and said, this is who I am, then she was defrocked. Was there a group of people within the church that were motivated to get her out? Do you know? Well, I think that once you you say, I, I am a lesbian woman, and I am living, I have a partner, then you can no longer um, be a minister. If you don't say, if you, let's say you're a lesbian woman, and you don't say that to anybody, and you're a minister, you can just go ahead. But if you're honest about what your relationship is, and you have a partner, then you're out. It seems to me likely that there are large numbers of Methodists and other ministers who are not acknowledging their uh, sexual orientation and their committed relationships and so are not being turfed out. But, of course, they can't fully live their life as who they are. So you saw this happening in uh, about 2004 and 2005, and you sent them one or two letters, and you tried to communicate and get a, some kind of communication going. And what, what did you do next? I think we got madder. You got mad. Well, we we actually had some friends over at Christmas, and we were talking about our frustration with church, and we were sort of feeling like, you know, why are we part of this? Why are we giving money to this organization that has this, um, what what we see as, you know, uh, fundamentally unfair policies? And they said to us, this happens to be gay friends of yeah. ours, and they said to us, why don't you guys do something about it? And it was it was very sort of like, what? Us? You know, and then, then you got you start to think, well, why not us? You know, why, why should we or just be? Or if not be? us, then who? Yeah. Were they also members of the church? No, they're, they're both very uh, disen- disenchanted with the church. Let me ask you about that, and I'm not asking you to speak from, from their point of view necessarily, but w- how do you feel as church members when people leave your church, leave your fellowship, leave your community? I, I'm thinking, I'm guessing, they felt alienated. They felt, they felt shunned. Absolutely, they did. And that's the impression you got from them? Yes, uh, yeah, I know that for a fact. Um, it's it's um, very disheartening. I mean, it's it, it's in our view, I think church should be a safe place above all else. A place about love, a place yeah. about inclusion, a place about welcoming. Yeah, you saw love and inclusion and welcoming from the church in other areas, and just not with specifically for were gays and lesbians and and transgender folk being singled out. No, I wouldn't say that other than in this particular official document official mm-hmm. documentation the 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 small c church which we attend here is very welcoming, very open um what, what can you explain small c church what, what? as opposed to capital c the denomination church okay uh, the, United, the Methodist United Methodist church, church versus the first United Methodist Church of Ann Arbor okay yeah but I mean, I guess what we were thinking is well, how do we how do we move the bar? How do we, what can we do as individuals to move the larger institution? And so we literally sat over our kitchen table over a cup of coffee one morning and said, well, what can we do? I mean, we're two folks out of, you know, millions of members of church, mm. hundreds if not thousands. What's, what's our church membership? About over 1,300. Yeah, what, what can we do in the face of that kind of, uh, you know, large numbers? And having heard little 
backlash to this sort of official discipline, we sort of assumed that we were isolated also on our own. Our views were beyond the pale a little bit. You thought yours were maybe unique? Yeah, we thought that. We were later proved to be wrong about that. Right. And th so what, what came from this meeting over the cup of coffee and the, and the kitchen table? Well, I think, I think we came down, as Linda said before, well, if somebody's going to do something about this, maybe it needs to be us. Who, who, who can do it but us? So we, Linda is one of the world's premier networkers, I have to say. So the first thing she did is she started just chatting with friends about, did, were, were there people similarly inclined? Would you like to come over for a cup of coffee? So one evening we had a group of about 10 people in our living room. I think we gave them dessert. Methodists always come when there's food. No, no, we gave them a whole meal. Did we? Yeah, all right, all right. We did. Methodists always come when there's food. That's part of the deal. So you, you invited these people over. Why did, you, why did they think they were coming over to meet with you? Because you had a sense already that they cared about gay and lesbian people? Correct. Mm -hmm. and, and so we sat around and we uh, people were... Um, all frustrated. All all of the people we invited were frustrated, and and so at the end of the meeting, we said, "What what can we do right now? We obviously can't tomorrow change the United Methodist Church, but what what can we do here at this church?" Wow. And so we um, we said, "Well, there are two things we can do. Um, in our bulletins, at the beginning of every bulletin." Um, it says the altar flowers this week are given in memory of somebody or in honor mm -hmm. of somebody or something like this. So we said, gosh, let's buy the altar flowers and we'll put a message in there. And so we did that. And then we also said, um, you know, we could make little rainbow ribbons and we could put them in a basket at the church and we could put something in the bulletin saying, Here are the, here's why these rainbow ribbons and wear them in support. Well, let me interrupt you. This bulletin you're talking about is, is uh, some, some uh, paperwork that every uh, member, as they walk in before they sit down, they can grab and, and, and read and it right. contains essentially a program for what the service is right. going to be. And you have one with you. And can, can you read? What was, was that the first one? Uh, this was the first one yeah, from very simple, um, signed by 10 or 13 people. Yeah. Um, and it says altar flowers are given by, it lists the 13 people, yeah. to celebrate the lives of all God's children, gay or straight, young or old, Christian or non-Christian, male or female. And that was on Sunday, February 13th, 2005. Wow. So that was kind of the start. And then a couple of weeks later, we bought more altar flowers. <laughs> but this time, I believe there were 50-some people who signed it. Wow. because So they, could, they, they read with, and they want to be part of that. And, and we, because we, we told them how they could get in touch with us, and we were the, the, the email kind of hub. So then we said the altar flowers, so this was on February 27, 2005, the altar flowers are given with love for all people and in hope and prayer that someday soon all God's children including homosexual persons, will enjoy full rights of participation in the United Methodist Church. How did people so, react? Well, we, we, kept, we, we had two meetings in our living room. The um, second meeting uh, was kind of took the space to the limits. And, um, I don't our, think we fed them dinner that time. I think it was just dessert. And our pastors <laughs> um, then said, you know what, we need to move this to church. And so we then started having meetings in church and publicizing it in the bulletin, and people came. So the pa <coughs> when, when did the pastor become involved? <coughs> well, doesn't that, doesn't, so that, doesn't that legitimize it in, so in a powerful way at a church? We, we only had—we have— th 
um, three pastors, and, mm-hmm. and we we really had one at that time um, who was supportive enough to come to our meetings. That was the only only one who came, but it was one, and it it did legitimize. But but the in group. the in the middle of all this, we got an announcement that our senior pastor was being rotated, and we were getting a new senior pastor, and that really kind of threw us for a little bit of a loop because turns out we have our own built-in assumptions about people. This pastor came from the Upper Peninsula, and we made an assumption that he would be very conservative, very anti, and this would be a problem. Well, and so and you (laughs) were filled with uh, trepidation? A little Uh, little angst, at least. Yeah, uh, uh, because you thought that his ideas would not align with yours? Possibly. Not no, not known, but just based upon assumptions about assumptions about other people, right? Yeah. Exactly. How do you like that? That's interesting. And, and and this grassroots group that we had started, which we we called uh, Rainbow Crossing, was just getting bigger and stronger all the time. Tell, yeah, and tell me about the. You said you had these rainbow pins. We had rainbow. And you were we handing those rainbow out. ribbons. We handed those out. And what did it um, mean if someone wore one? It meant that um, it was a show of support for GLBT people because the official Methodist statements are not supported. Did you feel the other people in the church were, uh, I guess... uh I want. I guess I want to say following the rule book religiously, but were they? Were they? Did, I mean, did you have? A, they, I mean, this is Ann Arbor, Michigan, mm-hmm. and we're. It's a fairly open-minded kind of town. I can say that with experience. Uh, did you feel that there was a a, a, um, a need for this so much? Did you feel that you need to really get this solidarity uh, going with all and starting giving people ID pin, you know, pins, uh, essentially uh, represent um, a, a new group. Remember, we're trying to move something that's the size of the Empire State Building, and we're just two little people here. Mm-hmm. So we thought all the help we can get is wow. useful. And so then what happened? Well, we just um, we kept meeting. We came up with some um, statements about what we felt our, our group was about. I collated or gathered all the email addresses, and, and um, so I was the Rainbow Crossing sort of person that— and we constantly had things in the bulletin that said, you know, this is how you can become part of Rainbow Crossing, and this is what we're all about. The Rainbow Crossing was formed, and and how big did it get before it, it started to become a force to reckon with? Well, it's over 100 people. And right now it is, or, or then? Uh, it, you know, it became over 100 people in less than a year, I would mm-hmm. say. And that was really all um, word of mouth and just by the, the, the bulletins right. and everything. Right. And did you continue to have uh, funding for the flowers by the group? Oh, you know, a- after a while they said, well, you know, maybe this is getting a little big because our list was getting a little long of the <laughs> all people. All the names. You know. Right. So and people put their names there proudly. Absolutely. Well, but also, yeah. but also I would say that in, because of Linda's networking skills, she went out pretty early to seek people to sign up who were not just in favor, but were also sort of recognized church leaders. So you wanted to be on the list after a while. And when you saw it, when you looked at that list of people, there was going to be every person in church was going to recognize at least one or two or three or four or five names. And it would start to look bad if you were not on the list. It's kind of like (laughs) not being part of a very important and forward-thinking uh, club. So we hoped. 
One, one of the most um, wonderful and heartening things for me was when I would get an email, and, and often it was from a woman, who would say, you know, I want to be on your list, but my husband's not quite there yet. And then three months later, I would get an email from the husband saying, can I be on the list, too? <laughs> yeah. that was so really we, knew, we knew it was working. It was somewhere. really uh, yeah. picking up picking up strength. Yeah. Well, this is, uh, you're listening to Closets Are For Clothes, and our guests tonight are Linda and Ryan Haywood. And they're talking about their experience at their local Methodist church here in Ann Arbor and uh, their support that they have uh, developed through their hard work, their grassroots efforts for the gay and lesbian community to be included in the church. We're going to return to them in a little while. Uh, first, we're going to listen to the book report from Keith Orr. Thank you, David. This is Keith Orr from Common Language Bookstore with this week's book report. Uh, today we're going to talk about books about marriage. Marriage is one of those, is one of the oddest intersections of uh, government and religion. Presumably we have this separation of the two, but in America they are very um, tightly knit together. Um, so uh, just have a couple of minutes today, but I wanted to tell about a couple of books that um, uh, explore that intersection in an interesting fashion. Um, the first one is Why Marriage Matters. America, Equality, and Gay People's Right to Marry. The reason I like this one is it's by Evan Wilson, who is the grandfather of the entire um, Right to Marry movement. He was uh, starting to work for this when most people thought it was uh, um, an impossibility, something that would never happen, it's certainly not in our lifetimes. Um, and he has been involved in pretty much every legal battle about um, uh, gay marriage and same-sex marriage. Um, the next one is uh, called Gay Marriage, Why It Is Good for Gays, Good for Straits, and Good for America by Jonathan Rauch. The interesting thing about this particular book is that um, it has to d is that uh, Jonathan Rauch is a conservative commentator, a gay conservative commentator. Um, I know that seems like a contradiction in terms, but there you go. Um, and uh, he gives the conservative argument for gay marriage um, from uh, more of the political point of view, but certainly talks about the religious point of view. Um, and that brings um, up uh, a really great book. It's called Beyond Straight and Gay Marriage, with the straight and gay in parentheses. So it looks like beyond marriage with straight and gay stuck in the middle. Uh, subtitled Valuing All Families Under the Law by Nancy D. Polikoff. Uh, Nancy was a presenter creating change when it was here um, a couple of years ago in Detroit. And she was one of the most popular presenters, um, both because of her content and also just the way she presents it. And the book is similar in the sense that it is just an um, engaging, fascinating read um, on the subject. And uh, the uh, last one I'd like to mention is um, by a Michigan author, Dave, David Myers, who, of all things, teaches... Um, uh, on the west side of the state in the heart of conservative uh, religious Michigan. And, in fact, uh, the title of the book is uh, What God Has Joined Together. And it, too, is a conservative um, 
argument for gay marriage, um, but more from the uh, religious than from the political or legal point of view. Um, so anyway, there's the four books I'm recommending this, this month or this week about um, the intersection of politics and religion specifically as it relates to gay marriage. Thanks a lot for listening. Keith Orr, Common Language Bookstore. Keith Thor reporting on fine choices in literature from Common Language Bookstore. It's based in Ann Arbor. And they have a website, glbtbooks.com. And at that website, you'll find a link to their storefront, and that allows you to order books online. You can have them shipped to you anywhere. The phone for Common Language is 734-663-0036. I'm David Christopher Meitzler, and you're listening to Closets Are for Clothes. Listening to the Gay Radio Collective on 88.3 WCBN FM, Ann Arbor. Write us at closets at gayradiocollective.org. You can also find archive shows on our website or the weekly broadcast on iTunes. Support for WCBN and Closets Are for Clothes comes from the community and listeners like you. Hear WCBN anytime at the website. WCBN.org. You're listening to an encore presentation of Closets Are for Clothes. Good evening, everybody. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. Welcome to the first annual Tree Town Pride Party Festival. I'm Sandy Smith, and I'm representing uh, the first ward on the Ann Arbor City Council. And I'm here today to introduce Pam Burns. Uh, she is a Democrat with the State House, the 52nd District, which is the northern and western district of Washtenaw County. She is a... <laughs> she is the Speaker Pro Tem, so she is the one in control, from what I understand. She has a, a history of progressive politics, uh, and she is the uh, first Washtenaw County, uh, female Washtenaw County Road Commissioner. In 2004, she uh, took the, uh, the role in the State House, and on June 13th, she announced uh, an amendment to allow same-sex marriage in the state of Michigan. With that, Pam Burns. Thank you so much, Sandy, for that uh, very nice introduction, and I want to thank Keith for including me in this event. Um, this is great that you're doing this, because the more publicity we get and the more talk we get going, the more educated people become. And I think that's part of the reason that I catapulted this idea uh, on Pride Day in Lansing last week. And believe me, it's been interesting, the kind of reaction I've been getting. And believe it or not, it's been a very positive reaction. Uh, I was telling Sandy, I think I've been getting more emails from young teens who are really concerned about the abuse and the bullying that they get. And they think this will go a long way for establishing their equal rights. So um, it's my hope, um, well, what we will be doing, I know I'm going to be introducing the resolution that will uh, repeal Article 1, Section 25, which now bans same-sex marriage. Um, so we will be introducing that this year. And with your help, uh, 
we will continue to work it through the legislature. As we know, it's, it's uh, going to be uh, a challenge, but I like challenges. And I think that's what we need to do is get the conversation going. Because people do not really understand that there's so much tied to the definition of marriage, so many benefits. Um, the, I think the uh, GAO, the federal GAO, says there's over a thousand benefits that are tied to the uh, institution marriage. So therefore, we need to make sure that everybody has that equal protection. It's extremely important. It's a fight, and I'm willing to take on that fight. Now, um, there's many people that complain about, um, you know, that this is going to be uh, something you don't want to impose upon uh, certain religious institutions, but I've uh, been looking at the New Hampshire statute, and I think the New Hampshire statute um, is very progressive, extremely progressive. What it does is now, starting in January 2010, it will provide for civil marriages, but if the, a certain religion um, doesn't, uh, it's not within their tenets, then they will not be penalized for it. But it will provide for civil marriage, not civil union, but civil marriage. And I think that's extremely important. So I'm paying close attention to that statute. Uh, and. I will be having the input from uh, various organizations such as Triangle, Mission Equality, uh, ACLU, and some other organizations to make sure that we craft our language properly in this resolution. So again, thank you all very much for everything you're doing and for keeping up the discussion and for making sure that people are aware that there is not acceptable not to have equal protection. So thank you very much. we're going to support and fight with her. Can you just all kind of like give me a, a, a round of applause and how much we're going to fight with her? Right. Hi, I'm Bryn. And I'm Lorraine. And we're from Camp Trans, and you're listening to Closets Are For Clothes on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. It's a radio, radio for, for all, all kinds, kinds of people. people. How do you love those who never will love you, who are happy to shove you out in front of the train? How do you not hate?
and armed their disciples. Cause I don't know. You're listening to the Closets R for Clothes. We heard Representative Pam Burns speaking at the Treetown Pride in Ann Arbor, followed by the song Forgiveness by Susan Werner from her 2007 album Gospel Truth. Well, in the studio with me tonight are two grassroots activists (laughs) from Ann Arbor, (laughs) uh, Linda and Ryan Haywood, and they are members of uh, the First United Methodist Church here in Ann Arbor. And uh, a few years ago, they got a sense that uh, people were starting to be excluded, and uh, they felt that enough was enough, and it's time to open, uh, open our arms and welcome uh, everybody uh, to the church and not exclude the way it was being done. Um, I'd like to. Uh, there's there's something called a welcoming statement at at your at uh, at your church. What is that? Well, I think at the sort of the end of our process, we wanted to make some sort of a really visible affirmation of welcome. Um, I, I I don't know that I agree with you necessarily. We felt people were being excluded to the what i really think is people weren't being welcomed in the way i wanted them to be welcomed universally and so we wanted to have a statement promulgated by our church officially that really reached out and said you really are welcome here and we really do mean it um now there's a sort of a fine line you 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 know you don't want to get too gushy about any particular group but we want everybody to feel like this is a safe welcome place where love is the big message and so at the end of the day, we sat down uh, with some friends and wrote a, a statement that eventually went before our uh, governing body in the church. They approved it. 
our, as I think I told you, our, our new minister, uh, Doug Patterson, was very enthusiastic and supportive of all this and kind of opened a lot of doors and helped us. And then ultimately I went to our church conference for a, a, a vote of the the polity of the entire body of the church who were president and uh, got adopted by a 90% to 10% vote. People held up their hands and said, yeah, I'm in favor. And, and, and I should say that that vote came almost two years to the day from our very first meeting in our living room. And that two years was a very packed year, uh, two years of doing various things through planning the and networking and and through, and organizing exactly uh, was so was there no welcoming such was such welcoming statement before no and now there was and you felt that um we're going to read it in a moment uh, but you felt that it was necessary you felt that this specific group needed a welcoming statement yep absolutely well does every minority group what about other minority groups of the church well, I think I think this sort of sets forth that we're okay. we're reaching out to everybody. Let's let's hear it. Well, there, oh, there, ahead, there's Linda. there's nothing <clears throat> in in our book of discipline. The the um, in the book of discipline always uses the word homosexual, not not GLBT. But um, the, there's there isn't anything negative about any other group of people. There there has been in the past. For instance, mm. women couldn't be ordained until the 50s, I believe. Um, and there were, you know, certainly r- related to race. So this is the one last group that the United Methodist Church somehow feels free to continue to uh, limit and be in their exclusionary in, yes. in their involvement. Exactly. Okay. Uh, can, can you read me the, the statement? Sure. So what it says, and this appears now every week in every bulletin that's handled it out to everybody attending our church. Wow. Both of our, both of our sites, both downtown and out on North Campus. Greenwood. Greenwood. says, uh, I'll just read it. As congregants of the First United Methodist Church of Ann Arbor, we welcome and affirm all persons. We are intentional in being inclusive of those of gay, lesbian, bisexual and transgender orientations, all genders, ethnicities, nationalities, and abilities. In modeling the ministry of Jesus Christ, we shall all journey together into full participation in the life of the United Methodist Church in a closer relationship with God. It sounds like that ought to be in the book. (laughs) We'd like that. (laughs) Well, and in fact, I mean, let's go back to the beginning. What we would like to do ultimately is move the capital C church, the denomination. And so we regarded this as a an important step, but not the end of the game. Hmm. So we've been out since then uh, doing a variety of sort of outreach projects, going to other churches, talking to them about what we did, how they can do it, how they can move their their particular small church along. Um, In 2007, we were invited to go to Vanderbilt University in Nashville, where there was a convocation of a group called the Reconciling United Methodist, Reconciling Ministries Network, I'm sorry, um, spoke there. So so we're kind of carrying on the tradition and trying to move it a little further and a little further and a little further. You were being asked to start giving presentations and and, uh, uh, lectures about the idea, the concept of welcoming people into a church? Does that do how to how to do it effectively? How to do it effectively? So you you you, you made a PowerPoint. Yep. And so we take it on the road. You t- so you, <laughs> so how many have, how many um, presentations have you given so far? Oh, I don't know. And uh, uh, did you say these are across the country? Yeah, well, not cross country. We, yeah. 
we have to work for a living too. But in, in, in some in Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, and uh, in this one in Nashville, seven or eight, I would say. Seven Out, or eight. outside of our church, yeah. right? Uh, now, We'd like to do more. Now, <laughs> is only the Ann Arbor uh, First United Methodist Church and Greenwood having this welcoming message? This particular one, yeah. Now, so far. It's early. And other t- We've only been at it for a few years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, is you're, you're trying to sort of get – you, what about other faiths? Is that coming into play here at all? Is that a goal maybe, a secret goal? Well, well, I, I think I, I've become involved in some community groups, um, one being Washtenaw Faith Action Network, which is an interfaith group. Um, and it's it's definitely something that um, everybody there I, I would love for all of the churches to just be totally open and welcoming. And, and I, you know, I want to say that as we went through that two-year process and we met with small groups and we spoke at whatever— Whatever anyone asked us to speak, we spoke, you know, and there were a lot of um, kind of uh, inaccuracies that you had to dispel along the way. So people who were—how was—let me just step backwards a moment. How were your presentations being marketed to the people who were going to hear them? Uh, We would talk about, um, well, there's this grassroots group, Rainbow Crossing. You've probably seen information about us in the bulletin. We were invited by some groups to come. Other ones we would call and say, can we we come and talk? Um, And we'd like to tell you what we're about and why we're interested in doing this. You know, there's just one group, only one group that the United Methodist Church, Big Big C, uh, chooses to discriminate against how are you being received by everybody here and those who are watching you and you're giving these presentations did you feel like you were going into a battleground or you just feel like this is a open conversation we're having we're here to have fun and and talk about this this interesting idea of including people that's a good question i I guess i'd have to say you know we don't go in with fixed bay and as we get invited or we don't go so um i'd like to be invited more places it may mean something that we've not been invited more places but i think there's more of this going on than us, there are lots of organizations that are fostering this sort of thing. So I don't feel bad about that. But um, I think we've been welcomed pretty open arms everywhere we've gone. We have, and um, you know, one thing I learned from um, Jim Toy, um, who's part of Washtenaw Faith Action Network, and that's I, I met him a little bit earlier than that. I went to a workshop at uh, American Friends Service Committee, and um, it talked about a certain style of communication. Um, and one thing that I took away from that, and I've never forgotten, and I tried to keep with me through this whole process, is when you leave a conversation over a topic that is difficult for some people, um, you always leave it with another conversation to be had. How does that? What do you mean by that? I mean that you you leave it on the kind of note that we have more to talk about, that whatever our differences are. There's more to talk about at another time. We're not done here. Yeah. Mm. So um, they could really never get closure by hearing <laughs> you talk. But it starts a dialogue. I mean, it must get right. people because then they take your message back to maybe the people who didn't want to go or maybe were not able to go. But it really starts uh, some energy happening. Right. But there were, there were people who would say to me, well, I'm not at the same place you are because I don't know any gay people. 
and I would be au contraire. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you do, but you don't. But they don't know who they are, and so they think that it's some uh, I don't know different kind of person out there. So do I have it right that you would meet, you would meet uh, church? Um, fellow church members, and you would be talking about gay and lesbian people, and they would have no context. Correct. Except for what they saw, perhaps, on TV news. Correct. Uh, uh, people marching in a, in, a, in a pride march or something. Um, well, there's books like the one the, in the book review of this. Uh, David Meyer's book, for example, is a good example on talking about gay marriage. There are lot, I mean, there are lots of literature out there now, of course. And certainly it has become more and more of an issue, and gay and lesbian people are, are, are um, a much more of, an, uh, of a known culture right. because of, of the—and and it all kind of started, as far as the church goes, because uh, at least in the past 10 or 15 years, the uh, gays and lesbians wanted to seek marriage rights, right. and marriages generally happen in uh, either— um, uh, you know, downtown at the at the at the city Court. hall, or they happen in a church. Right. And uh, did you was was this an associated battle that you were doing? Was was marriage? Did, it, did how often did marriage come up with with your discussion? You know, marriage did come up sometimes, but right now in the Methodist Church, if you choose to marry someone as a pastor, you'll you will be you will lose your ability to be a pastor. If you choose church. to marry a, a same-sex uh, same couple, sex couple mm-hmm. in the church. Hopefully that'll change. Um, how many, just, uh, roughly how many same-sex couples do you know of in your church who have expressed that they want to get married? Hmm. I don't a know. Few, you know, it's, a very, it's, it's been a very interesting thing to me because there are some people who have gay couples who have hidden in the church for right, a long right. time and so they don't really want they're, they're not really completely comfortable with having everyone that was kind of a surprise for me they're not really comfortable having people know they're gay because it was easier to be under the radar right but then they so, also couldn't celebrate necessarily honestly exactly. absolutely right and they yeah. couldn't be part of the of the same fellowship exactly did you see any kind of um improvement in uh, gay and lesbian and transgendered folk coming to the services because now they felt more welcomed when they saw your welcoming statement, when they saw the 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 the, the donated the donation line of the flowers. Did you fe- did you get any sense that now people were starting to come more because they felt it was becoming an open and welcoming place? Some, I guess, I'd have to say some. But look, we don't ask people at the door. <laughs> well, don't they show I mean, you their ID card? Right. Right. We have a special pew. You know, all, all our gay friends, please come down front here. Mm-hmm. You know, well, how do you I know if you're notion, being effective? Notion, notionally, as, as uh, one of our uh, fellows passed away last year said, uh, notionally, at the end of the day, this just won't ever be an issue. That's the way it really ought to be. Um, I think we do have some increase. Some folks come and say, I've come because, you know, I understand you're more welcoming and, I, you know, I like that, et cetera. So we've had some of that. But uh, no, we don't have we don't have a, a test at the door. So, mm-hmm. well, there seems to be a lot of groups here, and they're all and you're, you're kind of trying to get them all to work together. But you know, does the peop, do the people make up the church, or does the church just make the people? I mean, where where do these so groups really all fit in together? Really wonderful mm-hmm. question. We had a, a former minister, I think, talk about us at one time, say that we were trying to destroy his church, and my notion was, well, it's really. 
neither God's church or the people's church doesn't really belong to anybody, any particular person. It's a spiritual group coming together for a spiritual purpose. And seems to me that so long as we keep the doors really open wide, I hope everybody comes in the door. I have had um, I had one person when you, when you ask if this made a difference to people. I had one person who took the the bulletin, and he was relatively new at that point, and and he he's gay, and he he opened it to the back of the bulletin, and he put his put his um, finger on this welcoming statement, and he looked at me and he said, "This is big." And that was a really nice feeling because he he didn't know he he, he didn't even know that I was involved in it in any way because it was just there right. at the point he that didn't he associate had. the name to the to the activity no 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 yeah so that was and every so neat. often something like that makes it all worthwhile yeah definitely uh, the gentleman you were talking about who said you were trying to did he say destroy his church it was a former minister former minister pastor former church yeah. yeah but how does that make you feel when when you embrace the church. More determined. I've just felt that he needed to get out of the way. <laughs> the song we heard was about forgiveness. It was about it was the line. How do you love those who never will love you? Are you is is there an abundance of love at at the church where you are, or do you? I, I, well, I think so, and that's really what made this all happen, and that's really what. You know, we we don't really take much credit for this. I, I think of this as a little bit like a a big stone poised on a hillside, and we gave it a little nudge, and it took off downhill, picking up momentum as the church members piled on and said, yeah, that's right. This is what we are about love. We are about inclusion. We are about welcoming. We're not about marginalizing. So, but for that, I mean, we couldn't have done this. We just gave it a little nudge is all we've done. We have a um, two two sites, as Ryan mentioned earlier. Um, there's the downtown 120 South State site, which is, we call the downtown church. And it's a bigger, um, you know, more traditional setting with, you know, beautiful stained glass windows and so on. And it has two services except in the summer, and one is um, more geared to students. And then the other site is a small site um, that's just kind of out in the woods on 1001 Green Road, and it has a very um, relaxed kind of setting with kind of a folky kind of music thing. And so there's there's just a lot of um, there are a lot of options for people to choose from in our church for whatever fits them best, um, what what style fits them personally best the one on green road that's called greenwood greenwood but it's it's a site of the first united methodist church of ann arbor and then the other location is is the known as the downtown church is is on huron and and state correct first united methodist church is there a is there a website for the rainbow uh group and also yeah if any of your listeners want more information certainly that you can get at it through our through our church website oh so now it's even being supported right through the, directly through the, the church. If someone was to call, um, if someone was to call First United Methodist Church and ask the the person who answers the phone, you know, what kind of support do you have for gay and lesbian people? What what would I guess? What would you guess the answer is? 
Well, when you um, call and you get our recording, it's, it will say we're an open and welcoming church. Um, but if you go to the First United Methodist Church website and you look down on the left, you'll see Find Out About Inclusiveness, and you click on that, you'll get a series of questions that in, during the period of time uh, we we answer, ask and answer those questions, and there's so there's information right on the website. And I, I guess I have some of these questions here with me, and, and they are uh, thoughtful questions and thoughtful answers. Why These are the ones you're talking about. Yeah. Yes. Uh, why do some people wear rainbow ribbons or crosses? That sort of gets them into it. Uh, what is sexual orientation? What does GLPT stand for? It's really a, like a primer on your gay and lesbian friends. Right. It's sort of our beginning playbook. So if you went to www.com, FUMC-A2.org. That's our church website, and you click on inclusiveness mm-hmm. in, the, in the left margin. It'll take you right to that stuff. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what you have—we uh, have just about 30 seconds left. What are your uh, hopes for the church in the future? Well, we'd like to see the whole capital C church do the kinds of things that our local church has done and become just much more welcoming. Linda and Ryan Haywood. Thank you so much for coming down to the show and your activity within the church, uh, contributing to open understanding and welcoming of gay, lesbian, and transgender people. Thanks for having us. uh, At the church. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to Closets Are for Clothes. We are on the internet at gayradiocollective.org, wcbn.org, and on iTunes, and even Facebook now. Our engineer was Alex Belhage. References for the show include at Wikipedia and About.com. I'm David Christopher Meitzler. Closets are for clothes, and we are the Gay Radio Collective. It's about people, and it's about the community. It's called Closets Are for Clothes, part of WCBN's public affairs programming lineup. Public Affairs Programming airs Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. on 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. You've been listening to an encore presentation of Closets Are for Clothes. I don't know what the hell it is, Bill. I've been smoking this pot all day and I still can't get higher. What kind are you smoking? Whoa.